We have been just taking a moment before we get into the Word. And we've been taking a year of the 25 years and looking back at pictures. And so this particular Sunday in the 52 Sundays this year is 1994. 1994. It's a long time ago. Who was born in 1994? Anybody? By the uplifted hand? Anybody at all? No 1994 people in here? Wow. Nobody. Nobody born in 94. Man, 94 must have been like a population slowdown year, all right? Wow. Okay. You know what I've also found in church? Nobody ever raises their hand. It's incredible. All right. All right. But 1994. So this is, uh, this would be a, a picture of a junior church building packed full of kids in 94. This is the basement of the original building. Now, if you have ever been to the original building and you need to visit it sometime, it's the old, it's the Spanish church educational building now, but it's, it's really, it's almost unbelievable that, that we even had church there. I mean, really it is. You, you, you can't imagine how would you have had any kind of assembly. Well, this is how we did it. We just stuffed rooms full of people to overflowing. And we, we, just to get pews in that room was, was a miracle, you know. And those pews were donated also. Everything we had back then seemingly was donated. But that's a room full of kids that came on buses, all right? And then here's the old limo. We, we picked people up in this limo. It was the, officially the first vehicle on the, on, the, on the first door, which would be the fourth door, is the word gospel, and then light, and then Baptist, and then church. So gospel, light, Baptist, church. And uh, we picked up hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kids and brought them to church, probably thousands. In fact, the next picture is a picture of me and, and baptizing in the horse trough. Now, what's interesting about this horse trough is we baptized, I think, 502 people in three years in that building in the early days. Many of them were reached through our bus ministry. But we baptized. And here's the interesting thing. We never changed the water. No, I'm just kidding. And um, <laughs> Now, you know we changed the water because Nellie Sullivan is still alive. Amen? She's 95. She hasn't been able to make it to church in a while. She's still alive. She was the first person we baptized in that old horse trough. That was an amazing thing. And then here I am with uh, Tony Phillips. Tony attended our church for years. And I love this picture because, you know, for there's something, I think, in heaven that's going to be reserved for bus drivers. Men who get that CDL, women who get that CDL, and just drive a bus. And, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a job that's not uh, applauded very often. And it's, it's one that you almost have to beg and plead for someone to, to go through the process of getting that CDL. I'm glad I did. I, you wouldn't believe how many calls I get on a weekly basis to drive a bus, even today. Two, three, four calls a week. I get calls from churches around the city to drive their kids to camp. I do it, I do it often. CDL is an amazing thing. I would challenge some of you to get your CDL. It's an amazing thing to help kids get places. Tony helped thousands of kids get to church, and many of them got saved. And I, I, I tell you, that, that picture means a lot to me because I spent... Decades in the bus ministry picking up kids to come to church. And were it not for drivers, we could not have done what we did. It was an awesome thing. And then, I thought this was cool. Look at Bridget on the right there. See Bridget? And look at Sonia Fry behind her. Sonia looks like a teenager there. Not that she doesn't now, but you know, she, she looked. And there's uh, Jamie there. Oh, these are, these are great memories. These, that's 1994. And then, then James Reed in Maryland. 
most of you do not know them. Many of you would not know them, but some of you were led to Christ by James Reed. James had a Sunday school class. He had a tremendous uh, group of people that he mentored and discipled. And I know that picture means something to a portion of our church because in 94, they came on staff. There's Ken, our sound guy. Look, ain't he cute? Where have those cheeks gone, Ken? Where have those cheeks gone? All right. And then there's James. Good picture of James at La Hacienda. La Hacienda used to be pretty much the church stop. I mean, we, that's where we went all the time. And then uh, there is the first revival meeting. You can see the date, 1994. Here we were, a small startup church in a storefront building. And we stepped out by faith, risked it all, rented out the amphitheater at Mid-America, called one of the most famous evangelists at that time, and even today, still preaching, and he's got cerebral palsy. Has anybody ever heard David Ring? Anybody ever heard? Wow. I mean, half the crowd. David Ring came to gospel light. We were, would have been embarrassed to show him our church. I mean, to call somebody that, you know, can I just say it like this? Because as a young preacher, I, I would have been thinking this way. That famous and to be that small, we would have thought that had been no chance. But he said yes, he came. He preached that night to 1,500. We had, we had, I think, 88 got saved that night. And so for our little church, that little storefront church, to have 88 adults get saved. I mean, it was amazing. That gave us a taste of what God could do at our church if we would just stay faithful. So I remember that. It was an awesome memory. And I couldn't believe I found that somewhere hidden in a drawer. And then there's Mo and Joe as, as the family gets older. Now, you can see Mo looks a little bit like his dad. Here's me back when I was young. Head of hair, you like that? Like the bangs? I'm sporting a bang look there, you know, styling and profiling there. And then there is our family. That's our family picture. So I, I, I continue to have hair, lots of it. And uh, so, so far, you know, things are looking pretty good for, for Eric in that category. But it gets worse, okay, as time goes on. Open your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Happy anniversary, 1994. We're going to keep moving along in those years. Well, we've been in a series, and we will conclude that series today. If you need to worship God, raise your hand. We'll do it now. All right. And uh, these guys will get you one. Good. Keep your hands up long enough for them to get you a worship God, and you can keep up with uh, some of this, and it'll be a blessing to you, especially as you uh, study throughout the week. That's what these are for. And also, these worship gods have... Missionary letters, missionary prayer request, and church request, and then a letter that I, I try to write every week as well. So they're very helpful, and, and I, I pray that you take time to at least read through them one time. That would be, uh, that would be profitable. So we've been in this series on stewardship, and, and this will be the last message as we conclude the month of January. We were blessed to have five Sundays, so that was really a nice way to start the year, to emphasize, uh, you know, principles that deal with priorities of our lives, our treasures, our resources, our time. And so this has been helpful to me. And I've had some really good feedback from small groups. In fact, uh, I've had a lot of folks tell me they've, they've gotten in some really incredible conversations, especially this week, just uh, because there's so much here. And, and that the parable we spent the last couple of weeks on is just so interesting. And uh, the depth of it is much deeper than you could cover in, in one sermon. That's why it took us two. But even two sermons, it takes more than that because 
The Word of God is so rich. And so I pray that you've been enjoying that. Today we're going to look at uh, some other scripture regarding stewardship and finances and biblical stewardship. But before we do, I thought it would be helpful to quickly review what we've studied so far. So here's some of the statements that we've been making if you've been attending. And if not, this might get you briefly caught up. First of all, we've said this, money is not good or bad. It is what you do with it, right? It's what you do with it. And uh, so I challenge you today to understand that money is a neutral thing. It's not good. It's not bad. It's, it's what you do with it. We, we, we know Judas did something bad with it. We know Joseph of Arimathea did something good with his, his riches. And so there is something that you and I need to consider as God provides for us, as he blesses us, that we would be wise stewards of that which he blesses us with. It's neutral. It's not good or bad. It's what we do with it. Money is a test. Money is a test of our, of our sincerity. Money is a test of our character. Money is a tool. Money is a testimony. Remember, it's all God's. It's all God's. Everything is God's. And we'll see that again in Scripture this morning. That, that's a huge thing to learn. Even though we would all nod our heads and raise our hands that we already knew that. But to live like you know it is sometimes a, another thing. Here's a great statement. Spend less than you make. We'll hear this th- throughout our nine weeks of Financial Peace University. Spend less than you make. What I love about that statement is that solves every financial crisis and puts Dave Ramsey out of business. He's got to find him another profession. He's got to find something else people are struggling with. Because if we spend less than we make, we pretty much, in five words, solve every financial issue we could have. So there's a lot to learn there. And then we said this, honest, hard work for fair compensation ensures that God is going to meet our needs. And we just emphasized this idea of work, getting a job, sometimes getting two jobs, being willing to do whatever it takes. I love the fact that God led Butch to share something about his father, who he said was the hardest working man he had ever met, who woke up at three and came home at seven and again, I know there's other discussions and we can have about overworking or working too much, but could we just for a moment honor a father who put his family first and, and showed his son the value of love and providing for his family? And just, just look at the, the, positive, uh, the positive there. What an amazing thing. And, and, and some of us need to understand that value and young people need to realize that there's no such thing as, as just a free load. We must work for, for what God, uh, for what we get. And we, and we must understand that God's provision comes through our health and our ability to work for fair compensation. <clears throat> and then shrewdness is not rudeness. So we talked about shrewdness. What a word. What a word. That word has become something that I have heard quite a bit this week and pray that I'll hear it more often than not. Even already in, in it's come up just almost as, as a lesson this week, someone said, hey, remember, preacher, got to be shrewd. And I mean, thinking that way it just randomly means it's staying with us. And the Holy Spirit is not letting us just leave truth in the pew, but take it with us to the streets. And then shrewdness is the biblical answer to the Christian problem of being so heavenly minded. We're no earthly good. Again, that balance. There is an answer to every extreme And we must work at finding that balance as we will again this morning in our passages that we read in just a moment. And then the master demands a return on his investment. 
We saw that last week in the parable. He demands it. And it begins, it starts with the tithe. Tithing is the on-ramp to every other piece of giving. Until you tithe, you haven't really begun to give. And so we emphasize that here. We always have it gospel-like. And we continue to emphasize that the importance of it. I I know this and I'm convinced of this and have seen it in the last eight or nine weeks. This last week was kind of a disaster offering. But prior to that, we have seen God meet our budget for months and months and months. And I believe it's because faithful tithing. The key is consistency. And then as we tithe, we begin to see God's blessings. And as we become content with what we have, we're able to do so much more with the resources that God provides for us. It's just amazing. And so now today we're going to talk about God's provision and how we can enjoy it. Now, it doesn't mean that this sermon is going to be fluffy pie in the sky. Man, I couldn't wait for this one. This is going to be an easy one. I'm glad pastor's finally telling us that we can have some fun. And I am going to tell you that. And I'm going to do it in a biblical way. But I'm also going to share with you the dangers of enjoying God's provision. And how to balance that out. Look at 1 Timothy on the screen, chapter 6, verse 17, where it says, As for the rich in this present world. Who's rich in here? Well, will you not agree with me that probably according to the, the, the world today that we live in, and even historically, that, that by those standards, everybody in this room is rich. Amen? I mean, listen, we are rich, folks. Most of us don't probably need to go on a diet more than we need to eat more. Most of us. Most of us probably in this room uh, are, are blessed with a place to live that is probably more than we deserve. Amen? Uh, most of us probably have a, a car that gets us from where we need to go to, you know, to where we are. I mean, there's just so many things. I, I'm just simply saying that when we look at this verse, let's not just think about multi-millionaires living in mansions. Let's think about the richness of God to us. We are prosperous. We live in a prosperous country. We are blessed. And so, listen, thank God you can drink water and not have to worry about getting a disease in this country. I mean, just, just that in itself. So I want you to, for a moment, consider yourself rich in this present age. Look at this warning. As for you, as for Erica Pacey, who's rich, I'm going to charge you that you not be haughty. Nor, nor to set your hopes on the uncertainty of riches or of more, but on God. Now focus on that because that is going to come up often in Scripture this morning. Set your hope on God who richly gives us, how much? Everything. Who does it all belong to? God. He richly gives us everything. And here's the word I want you to see in Scripture to enjoy. Enjoying God's provision. Remember, it's not wrong to have things. It's wrong when things have you. It's not wrong to enjoy. But it's wrong to forget where enjoyment comes from. That's what's wrong. Not wrong to enjoy. It's not wrong to enjoy life's simple pleasures. It's not wrong to be blessed. It's not wrong to be satisfied by what God provides. Yet it seems as if sometimes we, uh, we, we, we see in, in, in Christianity at times there is this attitude that says, well, it's, it's all God, it's all God, it's all God, it's all God. And, and it's almost as if there is a pride we take 
in this suppressing ourselves of any enjoyment and, 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 and of all just suffering to connect with God, we, we can't have too much enjoyment, if any. There seems to be this attitude that says you can't enjoy nice things. You can't enjoy a nice new pair of shoes. You can't enjoy a nice meal or a steak. And, and so we, we, we see this at times in, in, in Christianity, in church. Paul saw it. We're going to talk about it. And yet in Scripture, we see a balance. We see, for instance, in Psalm chapter number 1 and verse 2, and I agree with this, 100% agree with this, delight in the law of the Lord, and in this law we ought to meditate how much? Day and night. How much is day and night? Well, today we'd say it like this, 24-7. 24-7, wouldn't we? That'd be kind of the term for today. That means all the time, day and night, delight in God's law. Never one second should we not be delighting in God's law, walking in his law. And I believe that. But before we take that to a place where we get haughty, let's, let's, let's also agree with this. In Psalm 92, 4, it says, For thou, Lord, you've made me glad through your work. I'm going to triumph in the work of your hands. We see here, yes, the, the person of God, but there's the works of God. And then Psalm chapter 63 and verse 1, I agree, absolutely agree, 100%. Oh God, you're my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is as the deer panteth for the water. So my soul panteth after thee. It's beautiful, isn't it? Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that how we ought to live? Just, I want God. And I do want God. But I also agree with Psalm chapter 111 in verse 2 where it says the works of the Lord are great. Sought out of all of them that have pleasure therein. God says, listen, I want you to enjoy my person, but I want you to enjoy my works too. I agree with Psalm 8.1 where it says, O Lord, thy, uh, uh, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth who has set thy glory above the heavens. But I also agree with verse 3. In that same chapter where it says, when I consider the heavens, the works of thy finger. And so we see here, yes, the person of God is someone we should enjoy and, and, and elevate and love 24-7. But then there's the works of God that God says, I've given you richly to enjoy. Joy in God for who he is and joy in God for what he gives. Joy in God for who he is. And joy in God for what he gives. Is it possible to enjoy both? Is it possible to live on this earth and enjoy God in heaven, God on earth, God in our hearts, but also the things that he has blessed us with? Is it possible? Well, James chapter 1 and verse 17 says this. It says that every gift, every, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. So, so. What does that include? Well, I'm going to tell you one thing it includes. You ready for this? Chocolate cake. Can I get an amen for chocolate cake? Amen. I like chocolate cake. I like my mother-in-law's chocolate cake. It's the best. It's the best. I love it. Chocolate cake. You say, wait a minute, pastor. You shouldn't enjoy it. You know how many calories you're in? I'll tell you one thing, pastor. You're telling this church crowd they ought to enjoy it. It's got too many calories. It's got sugar in it. Shut up. Settle down, you spiritually minded person. I appreciate that. And you're right, it does have too many calories. But every now and then, I'm just going to have me a slice. And just thank God for some chocolate cake. You see, I believe we can induce worship 
chocolate cake induces worship in me. I need to be more easy on my wife. Do you know, have you ever heard my wife tell this story? She's told it to some of you, but she, she'll tell this story where <clears throat> we've, we've been married for years, and, and finally we had our 25th year anniversary, and so we went on this 25th year anniversary trip, and we had these times of solitude and dates where we would just be, her and I, you know, we did a two-week trip for our 25th, and, and so we asked questions. It was awesome. And uh, so one of the things she said is, you know, we would, we would go back and forth. We had to make this fun. We kind of went back to, you know, our original getting together when we asked ourselves 100 questions. You've heard me tell that as we dated to get to know each other. Well, we did that again. One of the questions was, what is something you do that you're bothered by that you've never told me? And I said, oh, I've got mine. For 25 years when we eat, you just do this all the time. Mm. Mm. It just drives me crazy. I've never said, she goes, really? I go, oh, you do it all the time. So I started pointing out on that trip when we'd eat, she'd go, mm. I go, there you did it. You did it. You did it right there. Well, I want to stand correct. You know what my wife's doing? She's worshiping God. She's eating and going, mm. I'm sure she's saying, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. This tastes so good. Amen? Yes. You see, I believe that good food can induce worship in us. That the God who made us has also given us the ability to enjoy something that he's given us. It's not earthy, too earthy or worldly to enjoy that. I believe to think this way, I believe it's evil. I'm going to show you why. Paul addressed it as, in a big word that we're going to discuss for just a moment, make it a really easy word to understand. The big word that Paul addresses in Colossians chapter 2 is asceticism. And we're going to look at it on the screen in just a moment in Colossians chapter 2. Too little enjoyment is asceticism. Too little enjoyment. And I believe some Christians, that's what they are, aspiring ascetics. We just can't enjoy too much because we're Christians and we... We just can't enjoy too much. These are people that really don't have any fun. And I am somewhat weary and disheartened of cheerless Christians who don't know how to have any fun. Here's what the word means, asceticism. It is a belief in rigorous self-denial and suppression of all physical satisfaction to gain God's favor. Here's why we're going to do this. To gain God's favor and to heighten the enjoyment of God's fellowship. We're going to make sure that we don't have too much fun because we want God's favor. And you really can't be close to God unless you suppress and make yourself suffer and go without. Now, is there an element of, is there a tinge of truth to fasting and and holding back enjoyment for a time so that you can pray about something and seek God? Sure there is. But this morning, we're first looking at this danger. And this danger called asceticism, a belief in rigorous self-denial and suppression of all physical satisfaction for the purpose of gaining God's favor and heightening God's fellowship. Paul confronts that in Ephesians, in Colossians chapter 2. As you look to the screen, you'll see verse 16. It says, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink. Let no one judge you about what you eat and what you drink. You shouldn't do that. You shouldn't eat that. You're eating too much. You're... 
you shouldn't eat meat. You shouldn't only eat this. Oh, you should eat only vegetables. You should eat only this. Or, or you should eat that. Or even the opposite. You should eat meat. <laughs> I mean, whatever you are, the judgment, Paul says, should stop. We should not allow that. Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to a festival or new moon or a Sabbath. Somebody wants to worship God on another day other than Sunday. I'm not going to judge them. I'm not here to say you shouldn't do that or you shouldn't celebrate that day or you shouldn't do that or you shouldn't do this. There's a lot of you shouldn't and you should and pointing fingers and judging. And Paul says, don't let anybody pass judgment on you for these things. These are, these are a shadow of things to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. Wow. The substance belongs to Christ. You see, the truth of the matter is, what has happened in religion is we've gotten so wrapped up in the do's and don'ts that we've forgotten about having a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we can preach and yell and scream and holler about all our preferences all we want. But the reason why they accomplish nothing is because we leave out Christ. That's where the substance is. The substance is in a relationship with Jesus. Which I believe many really have no idea what that's all about. Beyond salvation. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 18. Let no one disqualify you. Insisting on, here's the word, Paul uses it. Insisting on asceticism, worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, getting all puffed up without reason. Here's somebody that walks around, they're always having a vision, always having a dream, and talking about it, telling everybody, and I had this, and I've had that, and I've seen this, and I've seen that, and I know this, and I know that, and puffed up, always talking about visions, always talking about dreams. By his sensuous mind, that really took me for a loop there, sensuous mind, I thought, here is somebody who is always talking about all these things that they're seeing. And, and, and you know, that's why sometimes when I so, talk to you, I'll say, listen, I'm not trying to be spooky. I don't want anybody to think that I'm up here trying to say that I've got some sort of a, you know, I've got some sort of a relationship you can never have. And let me tell you something I know. And Paul confronts this. And he says in verse number 17, it's not about buildings, it's not about songs, it's not about rules, it's about a relationship. And relationships don't run good if they're run by rules. They just don't work out. And so here is a person who is like, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, nothing else, oh God. And, and then Paul says, you've got a sensuous mind. you got a sensuous mind. He says, this person says no to sexuality, no to physical enjoyment, no to pleasure. Just God, just God, just God. And the Holy Spirit of God says, you have a sensuous mind. Wow. Let's go on. Look at verse 20. If with Christ, no, we haven't read 19 yet. Let's read 19. I love 19. And not holding fast to the head. Who's the head, by the way, real quick? Christ. The head is Christ. You're not holding fast to Christ from whom the whole body, who's the body, you and I, nourished by Christ, knit together by Christ through its joint ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. Verse 20, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why? As if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? 
do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Don't do this, don't do that. We don't smoke, we don't chew, we don't run with girls that do. And I'm not for some of those things. I'm really not. I'm not, I'm not for tobacco. I'm, I'm not one to be for alcohol. That's just not me. That's not who I am. There's some things I'm not for. There, there's some things that, some preferences even that I have that I would say, you know, this is kind of where I lean. And there'll be some things that I'm dogmatic about. Let me tell you what my substance is today. It's with Christ. In a personal relationship with him. And so I don't waste time anymore on this platform screaming and yelling at you about things you shouldn't do. I just preach Christ. And I found that our church has gotten more spiritual and been drawn more to holiness by emphasizing Christ. There was a day when, when you walked in the building. Let me tell you something about 1994 just for a minute. If you weren't here. It's funny stuff. Of course, we had a lot of good times. I mean, more good than bad. This is just how God brings you and how God grows you. But I used to walk in the building and I'd have somebody say, Preacher, rip our faces off today. (laughs) How crazy is that? Why would anybody want to come to church and say, Tear us up, preacher. Stomp our feet. Make us feel like worthless. We had built up such a culture in, in, in this movement that we were in that, that, that that's all they could do is just get on a high inside the building of the church hearing all this ridiculous preference preaching that was not in Scripture. But it sure made for a good hoot and holler session. And what's interesting is many of our kids did not survive that because they had no relationship. And their casualties today outside of church doing things, awful things. Well, we told them in church, yeah, but we didn't tell them how to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. So I don't waste my time with that kind of preaching anymore. You say, Pastor, wait a minute. You mean you never preach against sin? Oh, come on. You must not come every week. (laughs) I preach against sin. And at times... I, I'll, I'll get on a little hobby horse. I mean, there's times I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll be led by the Holy Spirit to be specific about something. No question about it. But that's not the mainstream preaching here. And so I'm, I'm careful now. Look, look, let's go on. Do not handle. Do not taste. Do not touch. Look at this. Referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. Interpretation. Stuff that people make up. Amen? Human precepts and teachings are stuff that people preach that aren't in the Bible. That's what they are. Look at verse 23. These have indeed, oh, they've got an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion. Wow. How many churches, including ours in the past, had some of that self-made religion and asceticism and severity of the body. Do this, don't do this, wear this, don't wear that. What does it say? But they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Can I tell you what I've learned? What I've learned is there was a lot of of preaching going on against 
stuff, preferences, things that really didn't matter. And then you hear about somebody who not only did that, but they went off the deep end. They couldn't stop the indulgence of the... Just because I preach on you should only eat 1,000 calories a day doesn't mean you want to eat 10,000. You know, we do so much preaching on the law at times where we expect people to be able to keep every jot and every tittle. You can't do it. When you come to the place where you realize you can't keep the law without God's power and his grace in your life. And so we've emphasized these rules and they've done absolutely no good. Notice it says here, and severity to the body. No enjoyment, no fun. Why? Well, people are going to hell. Yeah, when they spend time with you, they think they've already been there. I mean, really? I mean, there is so much here. This, hey, enjoy small group this week. This, I'm done. I'm done with Colossians. This is good stuff. This is worthy of discussion. And so I challenge you. This is not spirituality. This is not, this is, I'll tell you what this is. It's bad stewardship of your life. This is not biblical. This is not honoring to Christ. Anybody ever heard of Bernard of Clarvo? Good, because he lived in 1090. <laughs> a thousand years ago, but he wrote a lot of good old hymns like, Oh, Sacred Head Now Wounded. That's an old, old ancient hymn that he wrote. But he was, a, he was an ascetic. I want to quote this old hymn writer. He said, more remote from man, nearer to God. Holiness measured by suffering. All human sympathies, all social feelings, all ties to kindred, all ties to family, all affections are to be torn up by the roots for the groaning spirit. Pain and prayer, prayer and pain are to be the soul-stirring, unwavering occupation of a saintly life. You don't want to go to DeLuca's Pizza with that guy. No enjoyment. That's a danger. Asceticism. If you can't enjoy what God calls clean. I just studied that one out. I can't go there right now, but there's a whole chapter on what God calls clean. But wait a minute. Even more dangerous than asceticism is the second danger called materialism. Materialism. Too little enjoyment is asceticism. Too much enjoyment is what? Materialism. And so Paul, he he talks about it in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 9. In just a moment, we're going to look at that verse. But before we do, I want to quote for you a great verse, Psalm 62 and verse 10. By the way, Psalm 62 is just like a great chapter. But Psalm 62 verse 10b says, If riches increase, set not your heart upon them. If you get more, don't set your heart upon them. Don't say, wow, I get more, now I can spend more on things. I can, I can do bigger and better things. Because more is never enough. What a a verse. If riches increase, set not your heart upon them. I believe it's impossible to preach righteous enjoyment without bringing the danger in. So here comes the danger. You ready? The danger is materialism. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 9. 
in your Bibles, if you'll look there at that verse, and we'll begin there for just a moment and walk through this as we close. Verse 9 says, but they that will be rich. The ESV says, desire to be rich. But they that will be rich or desire to be rich fall. These people fall. They fall into temptation and a snare. That word snare means trap. They fall into a trap. And it's a many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. Can I say something right here just about that? And I want you to hear this. We don't need to soften or harden God's word. We need to let God's word speak for itself. Sometimes I try to soften it. Sometimes I try to harden it. And you know what I found? The best preaching is reading it. That's the best preaching. What if I just got up here this morning and said, all I'm going to do is just read the Bible. Let's let Jesus preach. Now, I mean, I hopefully I'm not saying anything that's not biblical this morning. I don't think that I am. I pray that I'm not. That's my prayer. I want to be right on. But my point is, if we read that verse again and just let God speak, what is he saying to you? And they that desire to be rich or will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lust which drown men in destruction and perdition. Wow. God's word is clear that money is not the problem. It is the love of money that is the problem. So the very next verse says, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. John D. Rockefeller, when asked, how much is enough? Mr. Rockefeller answered, a little more. How much is enough, Mr. Rockefeller? A little more. How much is it? A little more. Now, let me read you words on his deathbed recorded. And I quote, I've made my millions. They have brought me no happiness. So there's the testimony. There it is, a snare. It's a trap. Money's a trap. It's not going to make you happy. Quit thinking if you just had more, you'd be okay. I promise, preacher, if I could just win the lottery, if I could just get get rich quick scheme, I'll be better. I promise I'll give a lot to the church. You won't believe the difference in me if I just have more money. You have drowned yourself. In the lust of your own desires. And, 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 and sir, ma'am, that is a dangerous place to be according to scripture. Let's learn from that. David Ramsey puts it like this. You know you love money when. Here's five things. We'll learn this in, in financial peace. 
When you're tempted by get-rich-quick schemes, this is not me, this is him. He says this, and I tend to agree. You know you love money when you're desperate to appear wealthy. You know you love money when you have anxiety about things you don't have. Got to have more. She's got it, so we've got to have it. You know you love money when you're jealous of others for what they have. You know you love money when you judge others for what they have. So what's the solution? Thanks for asking. That's so kind of you. 1 Timothy chapter number 6, verse 6. Here's the solution. Fireworks, drum roll, godliness with contentment is great gain. Wow. So there is great gain. There is a way that I can have great gain. How, preacher? More money? Well, more money if, if godliness with contentment is true. You see, contentment is the key. It is the answer. It is the solution. For, next verse, for we brought nothing into this world. Let me give you a quick look at how you came into this world. Here it is. Here's me. There I am. Now, actually, that is not accurate. I should not have a diaper on. But I did not want to tempt you. So I decided I better wear the diaper. There I am. That's Erica Pacey coming into this world. Guess who I'm leaving? Same way. Without a diaper, though. I came into the world like that. I'm leaving like that. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world. It is certain we will carry nothing out. And then verse 8. I love verse 8. It's becoming one of my favorite verses. It was so great about having food and raiment. There with me. Because I love food. <laughs> Can I tell you, I got a little different spin on food for this sermon and clothes. I got a little different spin. I don't want to be too ascetic when I, when I say food and clothes. Because, you know, sometimes I think we just think, you know, if all you got is beans and rice and you got yourself some goodwill clothes, you're okay. Well, can I just take a time out and say there's nothing wrong with beans and rice. Hallelujah, Susanna. Man, she fixes the best beans and rice you've ever eaten. Ain't nothing wrong with goodwill either. But, you know, can I tell you, I believe that, that God, God made food for us to enjoy and I went to New Orleans, Louisiana three weeks ago, and guess what I did? You'll be proud of me. I, bless God, I, I only ate at McDonald's. I just, I refrained, and I spent three days in New Orleans only eating garbage food. No, I'll tell you what I ate. Gumbo. Etouffee, jambalaya. I I went to Mother's and had me a plate full of food that is the greatest food in all the world. I, I even had me a po' boy. Johnny's, exactly. I did go to Johnny's. You say, Pastor, you enjoyed all that for shame on you. Huh. Personally, I'm kind of like, thank you, Jesus. I joined my wife in the mmm category. I was in, that food was inducing praise and worship in my life. You say, wait a minute, you're comparing that worship segment with gumbo? Sort of. Sort of. 
God gave me that to enjoy. Can I enjoy a little food every now and then? I think God says, you need food. You need that energy. Look, I do believe we can overdo it. I believe there's, 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 there's something called gluttony, but I also believe there's something that God says, hey, take it easy. Just enjoy these things I've given you. Then what about clothes? You know, I, I, I think sometimes we're just, we're, again, we've we got to be careful. God wants us to have raiment. He wants us to have clothes. I think there's a lot of good deals out there, and even some nice stores. I, I love it when, when my wife calls and says, hey, I'm getting a good deal. I'm like, good. Sort of good. <laughs> but good. Get that good deal. You know, they go to a store, and they find a, a sale at Dillard's or a sale at Belk's or a, a sale at whatever else there is out there, you know, and TJ Maxx or something, and they bring something home, and you want to spend some money, oh, let them enjoy some clothes. Amen, ladies? I got enough shoes. Well, they needed another one. It's okay. Take it easy, guys. You ascetic thing. You Relax. It's okay. It's not a Mercedes, okay? It's a pair of shoes that pay less for 10 bucks. It's okay. Here's my point. Listen. You know what I think we need to understand? God is teaching us something here. He's teaching us to enjoy the little things because that's what matters you know what i'm learning i'm learning something i'm learning that it's not the the vacations that's not where it's at man the vacations take a while to pay off don't they they're expensive but can i tell you what i've learned i woke up this morning at 6 a.m and had my devotions i'm sitting in my little chair reading my bible getting ready for today and i hear my door my door open my wife comes out she moves into the kitchen about 610 and she starts putting together this roast oh she's cutting up onions and she's putting that roast over this big pot of you know what do they call that big white thing crock pot what's a crock pot but it's the big one roaster thank you man she got that roaster going I left the house at about 7 oh what came into this nose was incredible. I just, I, I have not stopped thinking about it. I'm still thinking about two things. Roast and nap. Two godly things I do every Sunday. Eat and sleep. Amen. You know you like that. <laughs> you say, look, that's food. And it's little and it's small, but it's something I enjoy. It's to me, it's eternal. It's wonderful. It's it's one of the greatest pleasures God's ever given me is eating and resting and spending time with family. It's better than any car I could drive, any house I could live in, any vacation you could send me on. I take my kids on a date every month individually. I try to. I do much better at it this year. They kind of rebuked me for a few misses last year, so I'm getting back on track. And so I took Chloe out this week. And Chloe's a fun date. Now I had my list of questions. We're going to cover this. We're going to cover that. We always cover boys now. Thank God. Nobody's there. And don't even think about it if you're a guy. Don't even think about it. So we covered all that. But before I could get anything out, she said, so daddy, how's your week been? I'm like, man, that was my question. I was going to ask you how your week was. Well, Dad, how, what have you done this week? 
I had the funnest time telling my daughter what I did this week, and then she told me what she did this week. We sat there and had a nice little modest meal together, enjoyed some fellowship, went home about an hour and a half, got some ice cream on the way home, and I thought, this is living. This is living now. Right, Joe? It's living. You say, yeah, but you shouldn't have spent that money, preacher. Be a better steward. I think that's the best steward I could be is to spend time with my family and throw out a few shekels every now and then for my kid to eat and have a good time of fellowship. Amen. Beats a car payment. Amen. All I'm saying is there's a lot here. Let's avoid these dangers. Asceticism, which is, which is too little enjoyment. Materialism, which is too much enjoyment. And let's find ourselves somewhere in here godly and content, but enjoying the gifts of God. How do we get there? It's going to take you some time to figure it out. First of all, it might take a course like Dave Ramsey. It might not. For me, I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to learn a few more things. I'm going to hone some things, make some corrections. I'm going to fix a few things. I'm excited. I'm always looking to become a better Christian. I don't think I've ever attained, and I don't think I'll ever get to a place till I see Jesus that I don't need what I'm talking to you about right now. So I'm going to try to, try to make some improvements in my life so I can have a, a better judgment seat. And I'm all about God. 24-7, but I'm also all about enjoying God's provision 24-7. So let's find that balance. It's not going to be easy, but let's do it together. Heads are about eyes are closed.